If you please stand with me as we read God's Word together in the book of Mark, chapter 2. As we read God's Word together in the book of Mark, chapter 2. In the book of Mark, chapter 2, and this is what the Word of God says in verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Praise be to God for the reading of his word. Let us pray once again. Father, we thank you, Lord, for giving us another Sunday, another Lord's Day, that we could come together to this very reason, Lord, to worship you, to make much of you. Lord, and I pray as we listen to your word. Indeed, Father, as I have prayed, as the psalmist have prayed in Psalm 119, open our eyes that we may behold the wonderful things out of your law. And Lord, cause our hearts and our minds to be attentive. And Lord, and I pray that we'd be sensitive to our brothers and our sisters. And those who are watching online, Lord, we pray for our families and our friends who are watching us and participating in this worship gathering. And I pray, Father, day two will stay focused and may you remove any distractions, Lord. And it will just enable us to be mindful of your truth. And Lord, speak to us now. For we give you thanks in Christ in my prayer. And everyone said, Amen. 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 You may all sit down. And I'm glad that last Sunday I, was, uh, I did not continue to preach and pick up this message. Uh, or else we will be here for two hours last Sunday. And so I'm glad that the Lord has made a time for us just to stay focused on, on those verses from last Sunday. And so this, this afternoon, what I want us to focus is this specific passage in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And I title this message, Your Sins Are Forgiven. Not, not too original, because Jesus Christ said that. Your sins are forgiven. In verse 5. And here's the main point of our message today. That our need to be forgiven of our sins surpasses all other concerns. And I want that to be our focus as we study God's Word together. Again, that, that, that our need to be forgiven of our sins surpasses all other concerns. So whatever concerns that you may have, whatever cares that you may be carrying at this time, that surpasses all that for the forgiveness that Christ offers to us on the cross. Not only to, to come to Christ to cure our suffering, our afflictions, but eventually to hear and receive His life-giving message. And I want us to be aware at times that we come to church that we, we are so focused and that God would provide the comfort and the healing that, he, that, that we desire, whatever it may be. But the most important that I want us to catch at the very beginning, it, it is this. It is this. The priority of our own hearts. 
the priority of this life-giving message of Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you three following questions. Do you have the capacity to forgive the sins of a person? Are there sins forgiven if someone sins against you and you forgive them? So where does forgiveness come from and ultimately who can forgive? Only Christianity provides a, a solution of, for, human, for humanity's fundamental and far-reaching problem, namely the reality that sinners stand guilty before holy God who has justly condemned them to eternal hell because of their rebellion and lawlessness. Every person's greatest need is the forgiveness of sin. Every person's greatest need is the forgiveness of sin. Your greatest need is not that f- the next meal that you're going to have, or the clothes that you will have in your bag, or the shelter that you desire to have. Your greatest need... That is something that you need to examine in your hearts today. That your greatest, greatest need in your life is the forgiveness of sin. As, as, as a result, the greatest benefit of the gospel is its offer of divine pardon to those who, who believe. So church, there's, this, there's a great benefit when you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you receive the goodness of Christ. You see, no other religion provides the meaning for full forgiveness. There are no other religions in the world today that provides, that, that gives a, a full forgiveness. Therefore, all other religions are actually collecting souls for hell. Only Christianity, in what the Bible tells us in this scripture... But there are no other religion that provides full forgiveness. So I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 9. In the book of Romans chapter 9 verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or, or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture say, says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter has no, uh, no right over the clay to, to make out the, of the same lump on one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make, his known, make known his power, has endured with, with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, in verse 24, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. And let's go ahead and turn to the, the book of Exodus, chapter 34. Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. And this is what the Word of God says in Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Even in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9, verse 17 and 33. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 17 and and this is what it says. 
They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you perform among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in, in Egypt. But you are a God, listen, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Then if you jump to verse 33, and this is what it says. Yet ye have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. And then as we turn back to the New Testament in the book of Romans chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. And the word of God says in chapter 2 verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you where? To repentance, but because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You see, church, in His mercy, God finds glory in offering to all the forgiveness of sin through the gospel. What is the heart of the Christian message? that we know of. The heart of the Christian message is this, that the Son of God became man and died for sinners so that God's justice was satisfied and sinful man might be reconciled to God. In, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. It is important for us to recognize what the gospel is. As we, uh, uh, when you turn your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians 15, and you'll see there in, in verses 4 through 6, in the picture of the gospel, that Christ died and He rose again in the third day. He died for us, for our sins. So the sacrifice of Christ is a sole means by which God offers forgiveness to the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have what? Eternal life. And even when you turn your Bible to the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Ephesians is one of my favorite, cha uh, favorite books of the Bible. In Ephesians 1, just like any other books, uh, my, someone would say, but again, the book of Ephesians is so powerful when it comes to understanding our spiritual blessings in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, and the Word of God says this, verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. That is... That is the key issue at stake here of Jesus healing the paralytic. And I want us to understand, and that is the focus that we have this afternoon. And I don't want us to get excited with the scene and what's going to take place in verses 1 through 12. But as we go through this message, I really want us to have this mindset of what this message is really about. It is about the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. And for us to truly understand and appreciate what God has to give to us. So as we turn our attention back to Mark chapter 2. So Mark opens the scene by establishing the setting, offering three specific details. First, Jesus and his disciples had returned to where? To Capernaum, a fairly large village on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, as we have talked and mentioned about this in the previous message. Even, like I said, you can visit the ruins of the site today, which includes the remnants of the synagogue. The second thing that we'll see here, that he was in a private residence, not his own home. Right? Last time we saw Jesus Christ was in a home of whom? Peter. Right? But a home belonged to someone wealthy enough to own a, a, a large dwelling. To gather, and you'll see later on in, in how all these people were in, in his home. 
Third, the house was full of people. So Mark's description could have been rendered in today's, um, in, our, in our language, the house was packed. It was standing room today. Right? And you know what that looks like. And what the, when you go to a conference or a concert, right? The, the, the place is packed. Right? There were, everyone was standing. So for, and, and I want us to turn to the book of Luke. So Matthew, Mark, Luke. Just, just next book to, to your right. In Luke chapter 5, and here Dr. Luke gives us a, a, a more detailed information of what took place that day, or even for this event. In the book of Luke chapter 5, starting on verse 17. So as we have read 1 through 12 in the book of Mark, I want us to pay attention here in how Luke gives us more details. So on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him and lay, and, 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 and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the towers into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God alone? And it's pretty much the same detail here as we see in Mark. But I really want us to focus in the very beginning there, in how Luke describes this event. So again, we, we discover that the, the place, the dwelling place, must have been fairly large to accommodate all these people. By this time, in Jesus' ministry, he had attracted enough attention from the general population to warrant uh, investigation by the religious authorities. So you have all these people. Okay, mind you, that now that Jesus Christ is walking and doing ministry in different cities, now he's having opposition. Right? Now you have the Pharisees and you have the teachers of the law coming around and like, you know what, I want to see what's going on. Right? I want to see what, what, what's happening, what he's saying there. And we'll see that later on. So you have all these religious authorities investigating and finding out what, what's happening. You see, theological minds from all over Israel came to Capernaum to examine this illness, this healing, uh, demon exercising, this leper cleansing rabbi, this teacher from Nazareth. So based on their evaluation, they would either assess his ministry or, or, or denounce him as what? As a false teacher or as a heretic. So the first thing I want us to look at in this, number one, in verses one through five in chapter two, the fate of the four friends. The fate of the four friends. That should be easy to remember. It's all F, three Fs there. The story begins with the fate of the four friends. As you look at verses one, Two and three. And so, and when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. Okay, I want you to imagine this scene and, and, and see it for yourself. And pay attention to what Christ was doing, and he was preaching the what? The word to them. So the, uh, as he was, as his people were gathering, and Christ was right there in the midst of them, doing what? Teaching, preaching the word. So we see a large crowd of people following Jesus throughout the majority of his ministry. But there is nothing to in indicate to us that the hearts of the people were turning to Jesus in repentance and belief. I want you to notice. Despite of all the crowds, despite all these people who are following Jesus Christ, we, we don't see it, we don't read it that these people are actually following Him. Do you understand? That they're a disciple of Christ, that they were real. In fact, what we see is that the crowds are passive and indecisive when it comes to the gospel. 
Look, look at the response that they were what? They were amazed. They were, they were astonished. They are filled with wonder at the mighty works of Jesus. They're certainly curious, but they're not what? They were curious, but they were not converted. You see the difference? So Jesus is preaching the word to them, and there is no response. And it simply shows us that we can be enthusiastic for, for Jesus and even be in close proximity to Jesus and not know Jesus. Do you understand that? You, you may be going to church, you may be attending Bible study, you may be um, reading your Bible on a daily basis and having your devotion and you're attending uh, conferences after conferences, but you may not know Jesus. Did you hear that? You may, be, you, you, you may have professed Christ all those years, but do you really know Jesus? Because you could be just like this crowd, one of the crowds. So Mark shows us really what this is and how these people really are coming and so close to Jesus. They just want to hear. They were curious. So Mark states that Jesus was speaking the word to them. In other words, Jesus engages hearers with, with doctrine, most likely correcting their inaccurate views of the law, the grace about Him, the Messiah. Perhaps salvation and the kingdom of God. Could you just imagine that? Right? All these people and, and all these, um, those people, these laws, these lawyers who translate the Old Testament. So, and one thing I want us to see is this. Being part of the crowd around Jesus is not the same as being a disciple of Jesus. I want to make that point. Being part of the crowd around Jesus is not the same as being a disciple of Jesus. That's an important distinction in the gospel according to Mark. So you can be attending with Bible Church and not know Christ. And I want you to take that in all seriousness. So in, in the Gospels, the, the crowds are never a measure of success. And in our text, we actually see the crowds as more of a hindrance than a what? Than a help. Right? The crowds here are obstructing the way to Jesus. They are not responding to the preaching of the word, but now they're actually pre preventing other people from responding as we see here. So as we consider the four friends, they brought their friend to Jesus. That's the first thing I want you to see about them. So again, I want us to, to imagine the scene, right? These four friends demonstrated faith, first of all, by bringing their friends to Jesus. And what's interesting is that we know nothing about these four men. What we do know about these four men is that they have faith that Jesus can heal their paralyzed friend. Right? So we don't know where they come from. We don't know if they've heard about Christ. or right? all, all we know is that you have these faithful friends. Remember again, the, the friend was paralyzed. Which means he, he could not come by himself. He, his condition had made him completely dependent on others. Who do you know? Right? Who do you know right now that are dependent on others? Right? How about you? Right? You may, you may not have the condition or the illness. Right? I'm reminded of Johnny Exentata. I mean, her testimony is, I mean, is amazing. How God used her for 50 years. Her being paraplegic. Right? Just like this paralyzed man, she can relate to this man. And how every morning, every single morning, every single night, she relies on her husband to take care of her. She relies on other people when her husband can, is not there to care for her. You may know other people who has that kind of illness. So you, you, you have these four friends. They have, they, they have maybe heard of what Jesus has done, or, or they have maybe seen it with their own eyes, or wh whatever the case. Listen, they believe in Jesus' ability to, to heal. Remember, their friend was paralyzed, right? 
And so we're not given a lot of details about the paralytic. Nothing. All we know is that he was paralyzed and could not get around by himself. And so these four friends carry him to whom? To Jesus. Okay, are you still in that imagination state? Right, I want you to see this scene. Right, the second thing I want you to see is that they persevered through the obstacles. Right, they persevered through the obstacles. Well, the, the big crowd was a good thing for those who were listening to Jesus preach, but it created a problem for, for the four friends who were bringing their friend to Jesus for healing. Right, there's an obstacle. Not only did they bring their friend to Jesus, but they persevered through the obstacles. I, I love this. Look at their, their heart, their, 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 their determination. It's this. They're refusing to give up. They devised an aggressive and extreme plan for reaching Jesus. Right? Our friend is paralyzed. No problem. We'll pick him up and, and carry him. Right? There's a big crowd at the house. No problem. We'll walk out and just go through them. We can get to the door. No problem. We'll get creative. And they what? And they did. Right? You see how amazing this, this scene is. You just, you just imagine, right? If... I mean, our, our place is not packed right now, so not, there's no standing room right now. So I, I can, the door is open, so anyone else can walk in in our church at, at this very moment, right? I, I'm sure you've been to those places where, like, who's there? Who's there? Like, is that Kobe Bryant or is that LeBron James? No, that's Kawhi Leonard, right? So, again, you kind of think, right? When you, when, when you go to, like, some famous conferences or famous um, concerts, right? Oh, the BTS are here. Oh, right, right, right. You, you kind of like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You'll do anything, right, right? You'll do anything to go what? Go somewhere and go up high and just kind of see a glimpse. Hey, it's a uh, John Cook. Something like that. <laughs> right? But you know what I'm talking about. You, you know what that's like, right? But these, these friends, these faithful friends, right? They got creative. Look at verse 4. Now, now you have to understand how homes were constructed in Jesus' day to, to make any sense of this all, right? The roofs themselves consisted of wooden cross beams which were covered with straw and a mixture of reeds, branches, and dried mud. So you can ask Jackie and Joey or, 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 or Julian about plants and what this looked like. I'm sure they do that in their home, right? And dried mud. They play with muds a lot. So, so you know what it's talking about, right? So now you go in the Middle East, you see that their homes were mostly flat. Not like here, you got this. In, in here, you see this, right? In, in the other building, it's all like that. It's all slanted. And so this is what you see. So after determining where Jesus was located in the room below... These four men start to rip apart the roof. They're just digging through the mud and the branches. They must have some rope too, right? And so could you just imagine, so as they, they located where Christ was, and they're like, mm, all right, let's go. Let's go. And you can just imagine what they were doing there. And, and all the people down in the room, including Jesus Christ, and wondering, what is going on? Right? But you don't see that about Christ. And people didn't react. It, it doesn't show us in how people responded when these four friends, they, have, they were determined to bring their, their paralyzed friend to meet Christ and to get healed. And so they're like, mm, okay, let's go. He's going to get healed. Let's go. He's going to meet Christ. Let's, let's do this. Right? And so now they, now they find a way they made a hole and to bring him down nice and slow. Right? Just, just imagine. Right? It's a beautiful picture. And so you can just imagine the faces of everyone in the house as, as they lowered their friend into the room with a mat and everything. So Jesus is preaching. The house is packed with, with people. And all of a sudden, bits of mud, branches start falling down. That, that would be a little distracting, right? 
I can just imagine that Jesus got to the point where he just needed to pause his preaching in order to let them finish what they were doing. Right? Can you just imagine that? And it says that once they made an opening in the roof above, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And instead of Jesus being frustrated that his preaching was interrupted or offended by the remodeling that they were doing to the house that he was in, Jesus responds with what? He responds with compassion. I need to learn that about Christ, from Christ. Uh, at times I easily get distracted. Right? So don't get distracted when you hear a baby Talitha crying and making noises. Don't get distracted. Show some compassion. When, right? When, when Johnny runs around and just runs towards me, and that's okay. He just wants my hug. Right? Maybe. Right? But again, you, you see this. Right? Jesus responds with compassion. These four, these four friends had what? Had faith. What Jesus sees is the faith of the four friends. I really do love the example of, of this man. Living example of what faith is and what faith does. So I want us to see and define faith in this passage. And so Jesus responds to their faith. He, he sees how they acted upon their faith, doing whatever it took, even with the obstacles in their way, to get their friend to Jesus. That's the definition of faith. You hear that? Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, and, who, and for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists, and that He rewards those who seek Him. And, and, and here, church, there is there a real picture of faith. Faith first is rooted in truth. It's rooted in God's declaration of who He is. It's rooted in the truth of the gospel. Faith is not some kind of religious leap in the dark. It's rooted in truth. But it's not just that. It's important to say that faith is never just theological. Faith is never just conceptual. Faith is never just mental assessment to something. Faith is always what? Action. It's always a way of living. It's always a lifestyle. It's always an approach to life. Faith will not just change the way you think. Faith will always change the way you act. And you see that in this, in this four friends. Because they really believe, they really did believe that Jesus had the power that He declared He had. They, they would not relent. They would not stop. They, they were actually driven to do something radical to get this man in front of Jesus. That's faith in action. See, and, and, and that points us to something that I think is very important for you and I to consider. Faith, if it's really faith, does not fade in the face of what? Obstacles. Faith does not give up in the face of difficulties. If your faith, if my faith is real, I'm not going to give up. Despite of whatever it may be, how difficult life is, I'm not going to give up. That I will press on, that I will persevere. You see, faith does not run away when things are hard. Faith does not quit. It doesn't give up. Faith does not give way to doubt. It doesn't walk away in the face of the unexpected and the difficult. How important it is for us, church, to recognize that. It's needed for us today. And I would ask you this, this evening, what happens when you face obstacles? What happens when you face hard things? What, what happens when the life of faith is not easy? When you're receiving opposition, or, or life is difficult, or you're not sure what God is doing, and why God is giving me this to me right now. 
when you have all this question, when you're suffering in some way, what happens? What happens, church, to your faith? Oh, that God would give us this kind of faith. That we would not only believe the truths of the gospel, but those truths would be formative of the way we live. And so you can say that I'm doing what I'm doing as a husband toward my wife because I believe in God. I'm doing what I'm doing as a wife toward my husband because I believe in God. You know where I'm going with that, right? When you're faced with difficulties in your marriage, when you don't understand what's taking place in your marriage because you believe in God, you're going to keep going. Amen? I'm doing what I'm doing with my finances because I believe in God. I'm doing what I'm doing with my relaxation. Yes, even your relaxation. Because you believe in God. I'm living the way that I live because I really do believe that God is and that He rewards those who seek Him. You see, church, Jesus observes their faith. And then what He does next demands attention. And listen, verse 5, Jesus forgave their friend's sin. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are what? Say it with me. Your sins are. Your sins are. I want us to pause and really realize that that our sins are forgiven. You know how you have lived your life and how you're living your life, and I want us to see that. But here, as we turn our attention to verse five, now, yep. Perhaps you and I could guess that was probably not what they were expecting to hear. Right? I'm sure they were hoping Jesus would heal their friend, but instead Jesus pronounces the man's sins forgiven. Right? And how God always focuses on our deepest need. You see, sinful mankind has no greater need than forgiveness. It is the only means for reconciliation to God, bringing blessing in this life and eternal life in the next. In the book of Matthew, chapter 1, if you recall, and we read this during Christmas time, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, listen, listen, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for He will save His people from their what? What was the purpose of Christ? To save us from our... And then turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. And this is what it says. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's beautiful. Salvation is received by grace through faith in Christ. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. And then even in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Turn to, book, to the book of Acts chapter 4, verse 12. You should memorize this verse. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among, man, among men by which we must be, what? Saved. In chapter 17 of Acts, verse 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to what? To repent, because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed, and of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. 
see, in our, going back to our text, what Jesus is hitting at, and what this man has realized is that Jesus can provide physical healing, but more than that, Jesus can provide what? Spiritual healing. That's what he truly needs, and that's what Jesus provides for him. See, you and I might only see a man with paralysis needing a, a miracle cure. Jesus saw a man with sin-sick heart in need of forgiveness. And that is the principal difference between humanity's agenda and God's plan uh, for the world. See, people today, we, we place a premium on our present physical bodies, don't we? Right? We do anything we can to stay healthy, to stay productive, and to stay strong. I mean, which, which will one day be resurrected into eternal torment apart from God or eternal glory with Him? In, in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. I mean, there's a place for taking care of our bodies, eating right. But that's not our priority. In light of eternity, the physical healing of a present mortal body pales in comparison to the spiritual healing of a sin-sick soul. You see, many sought Jesus for nothing more than a way to escape their own physical pain, but not this man. They, they wanted healing for their friend, but they had also apparently heard Jesus preach. Before we move on to the next verse, verse 6, let me just say a word about this man's friends. They were obviously convinced that the best thing they could do for their friend was to bring him to whom? To Jesus, right? And let me remind you, that is the very, very best thing that you, that you can do for your family and friends as well. Amen? There, there, there may be any number of obstacles keeping you from bringing your family or friends to Christ. But, but that's when we need to remember that the fate of these four friends. I mean, we make all these excuses in regards to, you know what, I can bring my family, I can bring my friends to Christ, I can't even invite them to church. I mean, what excuses have you made? And it shows you what kind of fate that you have. I want us to look at the example, before we move on to verse 6, I want us to look at the example of these four friends. The faith that they have. They were, they were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to the feet of Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Right? Are we determined, are we willing to do whatever it takes to present the gospel to your loved ones or to your friends and to bring them to Jesus what are we afraid of what excuses have we made or are we making to not share and not point them to Christ but instead we get so excited about sharing other things rather than sharing about Christ isn't it true Oh, what was the score today? Oh, who, have you seen that game? Oh, I, 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 what game did you play? Oh, what shows have you watched on Netflix? Oh, what plant did you plant last, last week? Oh, what did you have for lunch? Oh, I went to In-N-Out. Oh, I went to Chick-fil-A. Why? The, the Christian, you, you got to go there. You're sharing more about the restaurant rather than about Christ. If that makes sense. I want us to really understand this, that they were willing to do whatever it takes. I mean, and so you and I, just like these four friends, these faithful friends, they were creative, right? It didn't bother them that these people were on the way, right? It didn't even show us that these men, these four men were rude, right? Like, excuse me, excuse me, I, I, you know, like, I, I'm coming, coming through, coming through, right? None of that. They didn't want to bother these people. They found a way to get up there and for, this, for, for, the, for, the, for, for the friend who was paralyzed. And so we need to be creative. We need to keep what? Praying. But most of all, we just need to be convinced that bringing our family or friends to Jesus is the best thing we can do for them. Amen? 
That is the best thing, especially in the midst of this pandemic. And how we need to present the gospel. We need to be active. We need to be about Jesus' business. Right? I mean, you see all these things on social media every single moment, every single hour, every single day. It's the same thing. What are you doing to, to make Christ known, to proclaim Christ in, even in, in, the, uh, in the part that you have in sharing the good news, in, in the opportunity that you have, the platform that you have? I mean, I'm so bothered lately with, with all this social thing and that's going on in our society. I said, come on, let's preach the gospel. Just live out the gospel in your life. And that is our responsibility. Because you and I need to be convinced. I mean, once we are convinced that everything else will fall into place. Amen? We need to be about Jesus' business in sharing the good news of Christ. That is what He has called us to do. And so that's what we see in verses 1, one through 5. And the second thing I want us to turn to as we continue here in verses 6 through 12, the second point is Jesus' authority to forgive. So let's move on now from the fate of the friends to the condemnations of the leaders. Look at verses 6 and 7. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who, who can forgive sins but God alone? Right? I mean, that's what you see. Do you remember who the scribes were? They, they were the ones who copied them the, uh, the, the Torah, the Old Testament law, as well as all the, the opinions and interpretations of the Old, Old Testament law from over the years. So they were personally, constantly making laws on top of the laws for the Jewish people to follow. They, they were the scribes. In, in our Tuesday's Bible study, I showed you a picture on, uh, during my trip in Israel, right? There was a scribe there, right, uh, who was copying the Old Testament law. And here, Jesus is about to confront the scribes. Because forgiving sins was not something that they could do. The scribes. Right? Nor was it something that they can claim to do. It was something that only God could do. And they understand that. And you know what? They're right in this part. Forgiveness of sins is the exclusive right of God. No one but God can do this. And so the response is that Jesus is blaspheming. He, he, he's claiming to do what only God can do. So in the minds of the scribes, Jesus is a what? It's a blasphemer. And here's what Leviticus chapter 24 verse 16 says about what to do with blasphemers. Whoever blasphemes the name of Yahweh or the Lord shall surely be put to what? To death. All the congregations shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native, when the blasphemes the name, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. The result of blasphemy is what? Death. It's death. But just as the scribes are contemplating the implications of Jesus, is saying, is saying here in verse 8, and immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus question within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? So this would have shocked the scribes. Because what else can only, God, can only God do? Only God looks at the heart and understands every intention. Do you see the predicament that this puts the scribes in? Jesus has just, has just read their thoughts. Right? As we are reminded of in Psalm 139, that God knows our thoughts. He understands us. He knows it for He has created us. And so Jesus does that, and we see that here, that Jesus has just read their thoughts. And which is yet another thing that only God can do. In verse 9, Jesus presents them with this question. In verse 9, Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. What Jesus is doing here is he's proving that he can forgive sins by healing the paralyzed man, the paralytic. 
On the other hand, if Jesus says to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed and walk, and, and he does, then it will affirm to everyone that what Jesus said is what? It's true. If Jesus is able to cause a paraplegic in a moment to be completely restored, it proves that he's what? That he is God. Amen? And if Jesus is God, then he has authority to forgive sins. Make that point. So in other words, Jesus healing the paralytic is a validation that Jesus can forgive sins because only God can do both. So this is what Jesus explains in verses 10 and 11. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And then he says in verse 12, And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went, up, went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like that or like this. Who can forgive sins? But God alone. Jesus can. And that's who. Jesus does what only God can do. It, 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 it's why the people are exclaiming, we never saw anything like this. Yes, because there is no one like God but God, right? And what is tragically ironic about this is that Jesus did not blaspheme, but he suffered as one who did. So Jesus did all these miracles in order to show that he is God. And as you read the Gospels and you see this, and that is the very purpose when you see in, what, in all those miracles to show, to prove that He is God. So that He could say that He came to forgive sinners, and not only to forgive, sin, to forgive sinners, but to provide the sacrifice on which that forgiveness is based on. So as we close our time together, the reason Jesus can forgive the sins of the paralytic is because Jesus would eventually go to the cross to pay the penalty for his sins. When Jesus says to the man that his sins are forgiven, he is already pointing us to the cross where that atoning sacrifice would take, would take place. And the glory of the cross is that Jesus forgives on the basis of faith in what he, he has done. Not on the basis of anything we can do. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 reminds us that it by faith, right? It's not based on our works that we are saved. It is because of the gift of God that we are saved. Hallelujah. So our, our text says nothing about the paralytic doing anything to earn the forgiveness of Jesus. I want you to see that. Right? He, he didn't go and, and, and jump out of his mat or his bed or whatever he was laying on and, and, and start kneeling down and walking towards the front. No. He didn't do anything. There, there's no picture of the public doing anything to receive forgiveness from Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ made forgiveness possible through His death on the cross. He, he offers forgiveness to all who are willing to repent of their sin and, and believe in His name. You don't need to get your act together to come and, and repent and just repent your sin. Receive the forgiveness in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And you shall be saved. So, and the question is, who are we in this story? Who are you? Who am I in this story? Are we the crowds? Remember the crowds? There were too many of them, right? They were blocking the way. Are, are we curious but not converted? Do we hear the preaching of the word but never respond, never obey? Are we enthusiastic about Jesus and love to be around Jesus but have no desire to actually get to know Him? How sad that is. Right? Are we really good at being a, a, a spectator? 
but see no benefit in being a disciple. Are you a follower of Christ? Don't, don't be one of those people who just simply profess. Oh, I know Jesus. I, I, I receive Jesus Christ. I, I, I fill out a piece of paper and I, I walk in the aisle. I did all that. But when, when things are hard and you just give up, you really need to examine where you are in your faith today. I know we, as a church we, we, we've been, by the grace of God, 11 years. But I, I want us to remind over and over, week after week, are you saved? Have you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you repented of your sins? Have you acknowledged Him as your Lord and Savior? Because don't be part of the crowd. Don't be part of this crowd that resolve. God wants authentic follower, disciple of Christ who are willing to persevere in their faith no matter what obstacles that you and I might face. Don't just be a watchful or an spectator in the church today. So are you one of the crowds or are, you, are we the scribes? Do we suffer from spiritual paralysis? Are we too wrapped up in what we think God is like that we miss what God is actually like? Have we become numb to our need for God? Have we forgotten our need for daily repentance in our lives? And sometimes, oh, I've been, Pastor, I've been a Christian all this year, so I don't need to worry about repenting of my sins. You know God saved me already, so I'm going to continue to walk and enjoy my life that now that I think God saved me. No. You must faithfully walk and persevere in Him. Even that daily repentance needs to take place in your heart. So are you one of the cross, or are you the scribes, or are we the paralytic? Do we understand our inability to do what God requires and the ability of Jesus to act on our behalf? Do we understand that the grace of God through faith in Jesus alone is a means of salvation? Do we know what it means to be forgiven of our sins? Have you come to that point in your life that you really understand that you acknowledge, not because you think so, not because I hope so, but rather that you are certain that you have been forgiven of your sins because of Christ, what He has done on the cross? Be certain, no, because we don't know when we're going to die. We need to know how important this is. This is our greatest need. I mean, just a few days ago, I visited um, Elizabeth's uh, brother-in-law who passed away from COVID. I, I, not, I didn't visit him. I visited his family. Right? I visited his wife. And, and his wife was telling me a few days before he passed away from COVID, this man was reading in the book of James. This man was talking, communing about God. So uh, from that witness, from that perspective, from his wife that, he's tell, that she's telling me that this man knows Christ. What would it be like in your last day of life? What would people find out about you? What would they say when the day before, a few hours before, the Lord takes you home? Right? Have you accepted the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ? That's your greatest need. Your greatest need is the next, the, not the next iPhone. Can I tell you that? It's not what you watch on Netflix every single night. Whatever shows that you find yourself into, whatever activities that you make, that's not your greatest need. Your greatest need is not your, your spouse or your children. Your greatest need in your life, in my heart, in my life, right at this very moment, is that forgiveness of Christ. And praise God that I understand what it means to be forgiven of my sins. Not because I'm a pastor, because of what Christ has done on the cross. Hallelujah. So who are we in this story? Who are we in this story? The good news of Jesus Christ is that there is forgiveness for those who repent and believe in Jesus. Amen. 
This is available for all of us. This is available for you, for you, for you, for me. If you do not know Christ as your Savior and Lord. This good news of Christ is that there is forgiveness for those who repent and believe. Right? It says repent and believe. If you only repent and believe. If you have never put your faith in Jesus, you can do so today. Here, for someone here um, in person as well for those watching online. If you do not have a personal relationship with Christ, you can do so today. Today is the day of salvation. You have to put your faith in Christ. No one else. I mean, listen and hear the glorious words. Son or daughter, your sins are what? Are forgiven. If you have come to faith in Christ, you know what that feels like. You know what that, you know what, what it is and how it is and how real it is. Doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter when we have sinned. But praise God that when you read the book of Psalm chapter 130, Psalm 32, Psalm 51 about David, right? And you know that if we, and even first John and reminds that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Jesus Christ is saying to you right now, at this very moment, at this very hour, your sins are forgiven. Believe and repent in Jesus Christ. Our deepest need, what we need the most, is not what Jesus can do for us, it's Jesus Himself. Not what Jesus can do for us, that we need Him. Right? You remember when Richard was preaching about heaven? Right? About in the Lord's Prayer? Right? I think that was the context. Right? When we think about this, we think about our Heavenly Father. It's not that destination, but who? It's, it's God the Father. Jesus Christ we get to be with. The only way that we can experience forgiveness from our sins is because of Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no peace with God. Without Jesus, we are still dead in our sins, carrying burdens too great for us to bear. Without Jesus, we are headed for a lost eternity. Finish it. In hell. Pray for your children's salvation. Pray for your loved one's salvation. Pray for your friend's salvation. Because without Jesus, they are headed, they are headed for lost eternity in hell. My hope is that we would see our need for Jesus, not for what He can do, but for who He is. That should be your motivation when you open the Word of God. That should be your, your motivation when you commune with Him in every single time. It is to be with Him. But then my, my hope is that we would address this deepest need in the lives of others. Right? As we talk about ourselves, now let's talk about and how God can use us to share this, this deepest need into, into the lives of other people. You, you see, there's one more character in this story that I haven't mentioned, and that is the four friends. And what these four friends do is provide us a picture of what it looks like to bring people to Jesus. They see that their friend has a need that only Jesus can meet, and they do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. This paralytic is carried from his house, weak, dependent, and bowed down in body and soul. But look how he returns. He, he goes home what? Rejoicing and praising God because his sins are forgiven. See, this doesn't happen if his friends did not take him to, to Jesus. You could just imagine where he was still, if his four faithful friends were not there. If they didn't have the determination, determination and the willingness to take him to Christ, then he would be where? Tormented in hell, right? You see, church, what we need to be reminded of is that there are people who are headed for a lost eternity in hell. 
we might be the only follower of Jesus they ever come in contact with. Do we have faith like the four friends that overcomes any obstacles to bring our friends, our family to Jesus? Who are we in this story? So do we understand that our deepest need is Jesus himself? And not simply what he can do for us? And are we pointing others this need to them as well? When Jesus healed the paralytic, he was demonstrating his authority to forgive. So let me encourage you. However you see yourself, come to him. Don't wait tomorrow, don't wait next week. Come to him today. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray. I pray, dear Lord, that you would help us, help our unbelief. And, and Lord, we, we, we believe, but yet, Lord, we, at times we, we struggle. And Lord, I pray that you would draw us even more to yourself. May you meet us in your grace, so that all, that all that we do, all that we say, and all that we think, and all that we feel, and all the situation, and all the circumstances of life, Lord, could be rooted in the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We, we pray, Father, that, you would, that we would long for you, and Lord, that we would truly know you, as our, as our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, that we could say, yes, I am certain of my relationship with Him. And Lord, I thank You for the, for the forgiveness that You offer, that You have offered to us when we have come to know You, Lord. Maybe look back. In, in, in that day, Lord, when You have rescued us, from our sins and how you have restored us to yourself. And Lord, even now for those who do not know you, I pray, Father, that today will be a day of salvation for them. That they would realize and recognize where they are in their relationship with you, if there's any. God, I pray for those who knows you. And Lord, I pray that we would be like the four friends, the faithful friends, and Lord, we, we have responsibilities to proclaim the good news of Christ, to make Him known to others. And Lord, I pray that you would change our mind in the way we do things. And Lord, that we would be about your business of preaching the good news of Christ. May you convict us. May you grant us the, the boldness and the courage to approach our friends, our loved ones of the gospel, of the truth of the gospel. Instead of discussing all these other things that does not have eternal value. But Lord, I pray, God, there is value in Christ. Eternal value. Eternity, Lord. And Lord, may, may you put that fear in us. Knowing, Father, that we have loved ones, we have friends who that you have given us an opportunity to share the gospel or even, Lord, to know them. And yet, what are we doing with the goodness of Jesus Christ? What excuses are we making of not proclaiming the goodness of Christ to them? Oh God, I pray that you would speak to us, even as we think all about these things. So we praise you and we give you praise for all these things in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Resolved in the Truth, a ministry of Resolve Bible Church located in Norco, California. More information about Resolve Bible Church is available at www.resolvebc.com.